there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join my group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E. It's, uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34-7. What's up, guys? Back to start off week number 16, and uh, we just closed the book on week 15 yesterday uh, with the review on the on the Vikings game and ready to move forward and, um, you know, actually just kind of ready to to get to the end of the season, not because I'm done watching this team play or anything, but I'm just so eager to see what the future holds, what, who our next head coach is going to be. Are we going to finally hire uh, a, you know, a president of football operations. There have been a lot of rumors about that with, you know, former Bear Trace Armstrong uh, possibly being the guy that gets the gig and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, will Ryan Pay stay? Will he go? Um, you know, that kind of thing. I, I'm really more interested in answering those questions than seeing how these last three games uh, are going to turn out because I think we all pretty much know. Well, I mean, we they're winnable games, so they could possibly go well for us as far as finally getting some victories uh, under our belt before the season closes out. But we're more likely to lose or at the very least make each experience as painful and frustrating as possible uh, from start to finish. So I don't know. But um, nonetheless, well, we start with week 16. Um, we head out west to see the Seahawks uh, day after uh, Christmas. And uh, we've got a great guest this week in, in, in Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic uh, in Seattle. Very excited to get a guest like that. We had him on during the summer to preview the season. And, and here we are so late in the year. And, um, you know, I expected, you know, back in June when I talked to him to be talking to him about how the Seahawks are, are preparing for a playoff run and, and all that kind of stuff when, you know, a combination of poor play and injuries and losing Russell Wilson for about four weeks and, uh, and things like that has the Seahawks sitting only one game better than us. They're five and nine against our four and ten. And then, you know, it's like I, you, you hear me tell tell Mike in, during the interview, it's like I sure as hell didn't expect the Seahawks to be where they're at. And, and while I wasn't expecting great things from the Bears in 2021, I sure as hell wasn't expecting four and ten. So, I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to be a great year. I mean, I was predicting 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and eight maybe. And that was, you know, thinking that the defense would hold up its end from time to time, uh, which we saw, you know, disappoint us on a regular basis. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a 5-9 and nine versus 4-10 and 10 matchup uh, in Seattle. I sure as hell wasn't expecting not even to even be sniffing 
uh, the playoffs for the for the Seahawks. And and you know, here I am having a conversation with him at the end about uh, possibly blowing up the Seahawks and and you know, new coach and. You know, the, the rumors about Russell Wilson playing elsewhere have started up again, and the Bears didn't make the cut this time as far as the teams that were on the list and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very interesting conversation uh, with Mike, and, uh, you know, we talk about the, the game and the shortcomings that the Seahawks have, have you know, held through and, and how the Bears would have a chance to win uh, on Sunday and steal a win out uh, in front of the 12th man out there in Seattle, which is one of the more ominous places to play. Uh, in the NFL. Don't think it has been this year. This year might be the exception, so it'd be a good chance for us to go out there and steal a win, but uh, we'll see. So, I mean, the Bears have a good shot to win this ball game. They also have just as good a shot to embarrass themselves like they did on Monday against the Vikings. So, it'll um, you'll, you'll hear me and Mike say at the end, uh, at the very least, it hasn't been boring, that's for sure. It, it might be painful, frustrating, and uh, make you want to hurt yourself personally, but uh, it's not boring, that's for sure. So so let's go ahead and, and move on. It's uh, myself and, and Michael Sean uh, Dugar from The Athletic in Seattle previewing Week 16 between the Bears and the Seahawks right here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial To ring in the Christmas holiday, our beloved Chicago Bears travel out west to the uh, Pacific Northwest to take on the Seattle Seahawks on the 26th, the day after uh, Christmas. And uh, here to help us preview the game between the Bears and the Seahawks on Sunday from the Athletic in Seattle, uh, Mike with Sean uh, Dugar. Excuse me, I almost got it wrong after I just asked you about it. Mike, how are we doing? Welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Doing all right. So... Mike, let's let's talk about this team because you know week one right out of the gate on the road at Indianapolis they look like they're like like their usual selves. The NFC West got off to a really hot start uh, this year, but it's like starting from you know like about halftime in the Tennessee game they've they really haven't been themselves uh, for the for the rest of the season. I mean, obviously Russell Wilson getting hurt early on in the year didn't help, but. Uh, you know, after about six quarters of looking like the you know the dominant selves, they they've they've really struggled for for the most of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the indie game was probably the the one game. Probably, I'm trying to think here. There was probably some other ones, but that's one where they really just were better up front. Yeah, you know, I think when you're better up front, you you always have a chance against everyone, and then what puts you over the top is your quarterback play, and because a quarterback that has a run game that has a good defense and then has pass protection can win anything, right? That's how Jimmy G quarterbacked the team. They went 13 to three, right? Because right? they had all of those things going for them in 2019, even though Jimmy G is like a, the definition of an average quarterback, I, I think in a lot of ways. So, uh, and then every game since then, they've had some type of failure with no pass rush or, you know, against Tennessee couldn't stop the run or right. um, against the Rams. They couldn't rush the quarterback, you know, at least in the first meeting. And they just had some, you know, against Pittsburgh, couldn't rush the passer. Uh, that was like week six. Same thing in week seven, a little bit against the Saints. But in that one, they couldn't run the ball themselves. Like all four phases of being good up front just never really clicked. They clicked against the, you know, the AFC South teams for the most part. They clicked mm-hmm. against the Titans. I mean, excuse me, they clicked against the Texans, clicked against the Jags, clicked against the Colts. You know, and they honestly, they clicked against the Rams, you know, on Tuesday. 
the problem was in the throwing game. So if it's not one thing, it's another. And I think that that's, there's a couple ways to look at that. But I think when you're removed from a team emotionally, like the media is supposed to be, right? you realize that that's just a sign of a bad team. Right. If, if, it's all, if, if one thing's always failing and then you fix that thing and then something else fails, you know, it'd be like a car. It's like, all right, well, I got my brakes fixed, but now my headlights out. Okay, I got my headlights fixed, but now my taillights out. Uh, I got all that fixed, and then my tabs are expired, and then now I need a, you know, pressure one of my tires, whatever. It's like, well, your car's just bad, dude. Right. Your car. Right. So I think that that's that's kind of where the Seahawks are right now. Well, because that was going to be one of my one of my questions was, you know, is this year's record due to them not being a very good team? Has it, you know, have they been hit with injuries? We know that they lost Wilson for about a month. With that, with the with the finger surgery, which he came back very very early uh, from, it was like, or was it? You know, is it because of the lack of draft capital? They just keep trading away all their because they only had three draft picks this season, uh, you know, or this off season, uh, you know, for this for twenty twenty one, and you know, it was like, or are 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 things just running out with with Seattle? Like Pete Carroll probably at the end of his run, Russell Wilson probably plays somewhere else next year or or, or whatever like that. Yeah, I mean they were they were bad defensively to start the year. Um, they don't never really had a pass rush outside of Tuesday night, so I mean that's that's an issue. Uh, but even when they fixed the defense, you know they lost Chris Carson, so then you can't run the ball, and then Russ came back too early, and then they couldn't throw the ball, um, and then the whole time they were bad on third down on offense, which is why their time of possession stuff and everything is just so bad because they can't convert third downs. I mean they, on Tuesday night they were three of eleven. You know, Russ only completed third down passes to DK. That was it. No one else. Stafford, on the other hand, was like damn near perfect. And he completed like five conversions on third down to four different guys. Like it just shows you the, the different levels in a good offense and a bad offense and what that actually means. It usually means, you know, making big time throws in obvious passing situations or making big time runs in obvious running situations. Like you saw like with the Colts ice their game against the Patriots with like a 80 million yard run when everyone in the building knew they were going to run it. Yeah. You know, those, those are what the good offenses look like. So it's been a little bit, you know, of, of everything. And some of that, I think systemically in, in the big picture sense, yeah, they have failed in drafts and stuff like that. And that's why when they do lose a guy like Chris Carson, they don't have, you know, a viable backup, you know, and when they lose, you know, a guy like DJ Reed, their best corner, they're starting a guy named Bless Austin, most Seahawks fans. I don't even know, and I think we ended up getting benched, you know, late in the game, you know, on Tuesday night. So, yeah, you look. It's not even that they had three draft picks in the twenty twenty one class. It's more like, man, you whiffed on your twenty twenty. Uh, I would say they whiffed on the twenty nineteen classes and the twenty eighteen classes because those mm-hmm. guys would be in their third years and fourth years, right? And that's when you expect you to have developed in your system that if they are a backup, like okay, if somebody gets hurt, they're you know they're ready and they're not really starting many guys from those two draft classes in particular, and this is the time when you would expect that. They got more guys starting from their 2020 class than I think they do from their 2018 and 19 classes combined, I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure. like, And that's still not much. It's like four dudes. But the point is that, yeah, when you fail in the draft, it comes back to bite you, and it's, it's, it's biting them right now. Yeah, because when I was going through the through the games, it was, you know, they, they got off to the 24-9 to lead at halftime against – Tennessee and then you know faded at the end they just couldn't stop Derrick Henry uh they got off to another fast start against Minnesota and then Minnesota jumped all over them in the second half and completely shut them out to get the win there um then Wilson goes down on the Thursday night game against the 
Rams. And then much to a lot of, I guess, casual NFL fans like me, for instance, I had no idea Gina Smith, Geno Smith was still in the league, let alone the first guy off the bench when Russell Wilson uh, got hurt. And looking at his stats and everything, he was still a fairly efficient guy. But the other one glaring stat when I was going through it was that he was sacked about five times a game while he was playing uh, for Wilson. So, I mean, that, that's got to be what was plaguing Russell as well when he was healthy on either end of that uh, finger injury. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess up front, you know, the Seahawks are really, they really embody the cliche of what it starts up front. Like, if you can't, because that's the thing about, um, you know, and I get on Pete Carroll about this as well, and some of the, the other old school coaches about, you know, how often you should run the ball and things like that. I'm a little bit more like the Brandon Staley camp than I am in the Pete Carroll camp in terms of offensive philosophy. Sure. And I think those two, those two are really good examples because, like, of course you can compare an offensive head coach and a defensive head coach. They're obviously going to be uh, on different wavelengths. But Brandon is a defensive-minded head coach. Yeah. So was Pete. And they have uh, drastically different views of offense. I lean towards Brandon. But I think if you have a great offensive line, you can run whatever the hell you want. You know, mm-hmm. you can run the veer and the wishbone and the air raid, the wildcat, you know, because, you know, if you can block, if you can block in the passing game and you can, you know, create holes in the run game, it doesn't really matter what your philosophy is because you're probably going to be efficient as long as, you know, design it up, you know, the right way to keep people on their toes. Um, and I think Seattle's had that problem. You know, it, it isn't just that Russ wants to cook and Pete wants to run. It's that they don't really have the the horses up front to consistently do either thing mm-hmm. very well you know not enough to you know kill the other team and i think that when you couple that with a defense that's on the field for a gazillion plays and being specifically really bad on third down that's what you get this like product that you know you look at seattle's roster you're like wow there's some good players on here yeah and then you look at the you look at the game and you're like why aren't they playing well and you know and i think it really comes down to like some of that poor drafting and just not having the talent to be the team they want to be. Because when I when I because one of the biggest head scratchers was, you know, and and I'm and I didn't get a chance to watch much of the uh, ball game, but the the Washington game on on Monday night, when I went back and looked at the stats, it was forty two minutes time of possession for the for the Washington football team uh, versus you know only eighteen. Uh, for Russell Wilson and company, and that one came down to like literally to the final play on the on the two pointer. If if they convert that, they're sending it to 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 overtime. I mean, were the were the I keep wanting to call them the skins just out of habit, but were, were was Washington just you know were they converting all the third downs? Is that why they were able to hang on to the ball for forty minutes? And you know, obviously, when you only have the ball for eighteen minutes, offensive rhythm is not really something that comes into the conversation. Um, I, I can't remember Washington's third down uh, conversion rate at the time, uh, or at least off the top of my head. But I do think that in terms of Seattle's defense specifically, if you're trying to figure them out, just look at the very last drive of that game, that Washington, Washington's final offensive possession. It's, the, it's Seattle's defense in a nutshell for the entire 2021 season. <laughs> I believe Washington had the ball for eight and a half minutes. They went like 89 yards or something like that, ran about 16 plays, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, they, but they only had one explosive play in that whole thing. So they were just grinding it out the whole time. Didn't even uh, it, they needed a fourth down conversion to keep it alive, so it didn't even hit on all of their third downs, and then scored zero points. Like that's that is Seattle's defense. Like bend, 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 and then either break or not. And I think they're like the top five scoring defense, so they're obviously you know not breaking uh, at a very high rate. So. 
that on the defensive end, it, it's weird, but that is, that's what they've been. They've been a team that's on the field for years and years and years, <laughs> uh, giving, giving up a lot of yards. So I think they're one of the worst teams yards allowed. Um, but they're a really good third down team and they really limit explosive plays and they don't give up points. They're just on the field for a long time, letting teams just throw underneath them and, and get into third and manageable and then, let, or, you know, second and manageable and just run it. So their offense with that game was Russ missing a lot of throws. Um, I mean, you look at the first third down, it throws like eight feet over Joe Everett's head. Joe's like six three. It's hard to do right. you know, in the flat. So uh, our offense, the, the the mystery is not much of a mystery of why they couldn't move the ball. But defensively, they're a bit of an enigma. But I think that last drive really sums it up pretty well. Yeah, because the other note that I had for the Washington game was that they had thirty four, or the, the Seahawks had thirty four yards rushing uh, in that one, and. Um, you know that that's that's definitely going to hurt you when it comes to time of possession. If you're not running the the football well, or if you're only if you're only needing to pass and everything, because I I can't imagine that in a game that ended up seventeen fifteen that uh, the Seahawks were always so far behind that they could only throw the ball in that game. No, no, yeah, they could have they could have thrown uh, they could have run the ball on their to their final possession. You know, it was like a two minute drill, but I think they could have mixed some runs. Uh, in there, you know, maybe it's like a short yardage situation during your two minutes just to keep the chains moving. Um, oh yeah, I think Washington was five of thirteen in that game on offense on third down, so not not super great. But yeah, right. that that has been a weird thing with. Um, so here's what here's what happened with Seattle, and I think this happened Tuesday night as well in the Rams game. They run the ball early, they have some you know semi effectiveness. Either they do or they don't. Uh, and by then, Pete's like, all right, cool, we rounded enough. Now let's just play action all over the place. And if that works, then you end up smoking teams. If that right. doesn't work, you have to uh, look at why doesn't it work. Are we throwing incomplete? Are we throwing interceptions? Are we getting sacked? Um, like Pete uses the run game to just like, all right, now we can use that to set up everything else. Well, it's just like, okay, when you set up everything else, it doesn't mean you never go back to running it, mm. you know, especially if it was working and they haven't had enough plays to ever cycle back to running it. And then when they do throw it off those play passes, Russ is, about as hit and miss as he's ever been in his career on some of these deep shots. Is the finger still affecting him? Did he come back too soon, or is it you know is it is it giving him the yips kind of thing? Uh, you know that's a good question. Probably a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. I mean, he'll never say it. Right. But, I mean, we're, we're looking at him. Right. I just watched him underthrow you know DK twice on 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 um, on Tuesday night. You know, watched him miss DK. You know, on um. Uh, against the, against the Texans, you know he's just not, he just hasn't been there. He missed the Eskridge, the uh, rookie, you know, on Tuesday night against the Rams as well. He's hit some deep points too. He had a beautiful one to Tyler Lockett against the Texans, and some other really really nice uh, outside the numbers throws against the Texans to Tyler Lockett. You know, so he could make them, but he's hit and miss, and that's what he's those misses have hadn't been there in his career. So it's probably him not seeing the field well. Yeah, a little bit of the yips, a little bit of physical is not there. He's pressing the issue, um, but he's definitely just not himself. And that was really evident against the Rams. They did everything well up front, and they just couldn't throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's really troubling when you're, the strength of your team, in theory, should be the guy making $35 million bucks. Yeah. I mean, has he has he changed his grip on the ball to, like, overcompensate for the finger? Is he is he buddy taping the finger to, you know, so it's not taking as much of the – the weight or anything like that when he's throwing the ball? Uh, I think the only thing he did early 
I think in the Packers game, he might have wore something on his finger. I forget what it was. And then um, he didn't do any under under center snaps against the Packers, mm. which was like a huge sign that something was wrong, right? Right. Cause it, uh, you know, because going into that game, they had used under center on early downs about 44% of the time, which is a pretty high rate. Yeah. Basically means you're an under center team. Uh, and then they did it zero snaps, you know, against Green Bay. And that just didn't make any sense. And that was like one sign, like, oh, he's back too soon. And then he, you know, he wasn't very good in that game. Uh, so I think, I don't think he's doing any of that anymore. I think his fingers probably fine now, to be honest. This is the timeline that the doctor said he'd be fine. Right. Um, so it, it makes sense that he started to look a little better against the Niners and the Texans. Um, but he just, just regressed. And I think uh, it's, it's a lot of factors. It's not just one factor with Russ for him to not be good at the thing that he's been good at for so long these moon balls these deep shots you know seeing the field well putting touch on the ball yeah you know, even that even that fourth and six no call on the pass interference Tuesday night is an egregious call egregious. should have called it of course mm-hmm. they should have called it but at the same time the ball is also underthrown you know if yeah. Russ leads him DJ might score you know or at least he's getting inside the five or something like that so it was like that the no call is actually distracting from what was like a, actually a poorly thrown ball that gave the linebacker a chance to even interfere with it, you know, and I think that that play in a lot of ways sums up their season, too. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, Spotify Green Room is free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. Join in on conversations with me at Club 34-7 and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast. I'll be hosting rooms every week. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 34-7. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 34-7. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk bears, let's talk whatever you want. But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. Yeah, because that was one of the things that actually had me excited and, and like of the choices that the bears embarrassingly were attached to through the offseason, Russell Wilson was the one that had me most excited as far as the possibilities, and that was because of the lack of accuracy that we had seen from Trubisky and from Nick Foles and that how many times have you seen Russell Wilson absolutely put it where nobody were like in the most perfect spot to to hit Tyler Lockett down the sideline for this for this deep ball like right through the hands of the defender and only in the one area where his receiver was holding his hands open and now that you know to hear that his touch has become an issue with this with this finger surgery makes you wonder if if this could be a long-term thing or if it is just you know, him recovering while playing at the same time. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of the latter. It's just hard to just, you know, jump back in. And then, you know, when you jump back in for the, you know, it's like, okay, why did he rush back? You know, it's like, was that the best idea? And it's weird now, like in hindsight, him like doing the two minute drill at Pittsburgh, you know, with no ball uh, was like weird before Sunday night football. And then like all of the, all of his updates, 
you know, we're always ahead of the team's updates. You know, it's like, I'm going to tweet the picture of my surgery before they announce. They even had surgery. And I'll tweet the picture of my pen to take now before the team officially announces the thing. And, uh, you know, it just felt like it was. And then he, you know, when he came back, it's like, yeah, the doctor told me, you know, six to eight weeks. So I was like, I'm going to do it in three to four. I'm like, well, no, that's not. He told you six to eight for a reason, man. I mean, doctor. Yeah. Like, he's seen this thing, you know, and for you to just kind of ignore that and use that as like some chip on your shoulder so you could put that on your checklist of odds that you overcame, you know, and ultimately do a disservice to your team in the process. You know, that, that, I don't know if that's as admirable as like that felt in real time. Yeah. You know, doc, doctor says, hey, man, you should cool it for about, you know, you know, about eight weeks. All right, cool. I'll be back out at four. No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> and, and I. And I understand why he wanted to come back, but in hindsight, looking at that, like, that was borderline selfish if you weren't going to come back and be you again. Yeah. You know, not to say that Geno Smith is a better option, but, like, if you, if your motivations aren't, like, genuinely, um, you know, to help the team, and they're more like, I want to overcome odds, like, well, it's not about you and odds. We're trying to win games. And if you come back and we get shut out, they just throwing the ball to the other team because you want to rush back, you know, that's, that's that's pretty bad, man. He's got a good track record of being a good dude, so it's not like that's the biggest thing in the world. But I mean, there is another way to look at that situation that he actively, you know, hurt the team with the decision to come back soon for reasons that seem to be more about odds he wanted to overcome. Yeah, and because he's not in a contract year or or anything like that, and Seattle was three and five going into that game against the uh, Packers, so the season wasn't wasn't lost by any stretch at that at that point uh, of the of the year and then when he comes back he's he's 20 of 40 and the two interceptions were were throws into the end zone were they not i think uh, definitely the one that Amos intercepted was in the end zone I, and i i believe the other one was either close to or, or another end zone interception uh as well and neither one of them were good throws cuz i know the one that i saw that he threw into the end zone is just like what what was he doing there yeah they are yeah, both in the end zone um He's, he, it's actually really interesting going back and looking at the one he threw to Kevin King in the end zone. He yeah. says that when he when he threw it, Kevin King had his back to um, Russ. Russ could see Kevin King's back, which he's right. When you do see a defender's back, you should throw it. Right. We go back and watch all twenty-two. No, Kevin flips before Russ throws it, um, and that's how he's able to make the play on it. Um, and it's just like okay, it's just one of those instances of like, see, you're not even seeing it that well. Um, you, you, you know, and that's that was his first game back, and yeah, I think. I should make this clear. I think an injured Russell Wilson was still a better option than Gene Smith. Sure. I, I, I do like wholeheartedly believe that. But it's just like when you actively, like no one pressured him to come back early. Put it that way. It wasn't like Jody Allen, owner of the team, or Pete Carroll's banging on his door like, hey, we need you, we need you, we need you, man. Hey, man, can you get back in a week or two? You know, three weeks maybe. You know, it was more like, hey, take your time, do what you got to do. We'll hold it down until you get back. And it's like, ah, I'm good. And I think that's important. It's an important distinction. Especially at a time when you know he spent the off season being frustrated publicly, um, you know that's a lot. That's a, it all. That's that, that stuff matters. You know when we're talking about his relationship with the franchise and whether he'll, you know, be here long term. Right, and it, it was because um, because I was I was that was going to be like my my next question was what would would the season have turned out differently if if Russell had stayed. Uh, healthy would they have struggled the same way um with with them out because like I said when I was looking at the at the stats and everything Geno Smith was 
you know, 22 of, of 30 or something like that. So it's not like he was all over the play. I mean, his stats weren't sexy. I think he, he topped out at maybe like 220 yards while Russell Wilson was out, but he wasn't turning over the football. He was getting sacked a lot, but he was otherwise efficient uh, in, in at least uh, not turning the football over and, and not creating a bigger problem, which is a lot of backup quarterbacks do when the starter is out. Yeah, but I think they were just they were just too limited, you know, to to win that way, especially against the teams that were on their schedule. They just they really needed to have a run game, you know, because that's what not just because Geno necessarily needs it. I think he does, but the point was that Pete thought he not, thought he needed it. So the game plans were tailored accordingly. Like, all right, number seven is our quarterback now, so let's 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 treat him like 2009 Mark Sanchez, um, and that's fine. If you have the 2009 Jets offensive line and uh, whoever the running backs were at the time, um, you one know, of so them was Thomas let, Jones, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. Um, so unless you have that, you know, or even treat it like, yeah, to some extent, what Pete wants to do is what like the Browns want to do or the Colts. You know, the difference is those teams have good old lines and great running backs. Yeah, <laughs> they have, you know, that's the difference. And so, yeah, you can you can put the kid gloves on Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield because if you do put too much on their plate, they'll do too much and throw the ball to the other team. Right. And you have to treat your backup quarterback like that too, but you can't do that when you know your your running backs or you know Alex Collins or Rashad Penny or DJ Dallas or something like that compared to teams that like have all pro linemen, you know, and Quentin Nelsons and, and and Eric Fishers and Ryan Kellys and Wyatt Taylors or tellers or whatever, like you got those guys blocking for dudes like Chubb and Taylor. And yeah, put the kid gloves on your quarterback. Um, you can probably win games that way. The Seahawks aren't built to win games that way, honestly, with or without Russ right now. Right. So speaking of, you know, winning this weekend, I mean, what, what's it going to take for the bears to win? I mean, I, I shudder to ask because I don't know who we're putting out on the field uh, because you know, obviously we, we, we got hit with a ton of, uh, of COVID losses going into the Minnesota game and, and damn near won that game uh, despite, or well, we didn't damn near win it. We were in it for most of the game, despite all of, all of that. And um, for the, for every two guys that have come off the list the last couple of days, we put one back on the list. Like we, we've gotten four guys back in the last two days, but we've also added two other guys uh, to the COVID list as well. So I still have no idea who we're going to be putting on the field you know, four days from now when, when our teams meet up. But, you know, all things being equal, how do the Bears beat the Seahawks on Sunday? Uh, I think it's, it's third downs again. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know where the Bears' third down defense um, is uh, in terms of league wide ranks. I could look it up. But, I mean, I think the teams that really beat the Seahawks is the teams that keep Russell Wilson in the three and outs and more three and outs, or maybe get one first down and another three and out. And, you know, I think that that's been the key for pretty much every team, you know, it's really hard to to score points when you're just bad on third down. The Seahawks, I mean, I think the Bears offense is really bad on third down, too. Um, I think Justin Fields has been a bad third down QB, and he, like Russ, takes a lot of sacks. Um, but I just think that if you're the Bears defense, you're like, look, on third down, they really only throw to two guys, you know, uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. You know, let's make sure we know where they are. You know, on third down, rush you know, Russell Wilson and, and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I still, I think I picked the Seahawks to win, um, but I mean, I think they could lose to anybody. You know, when you, when, when your offense is 
as streaky as theirs is and it's so reliant on explosive plays, it's so reliant on the things that most defenses are designed to stop. You know, it's it's really hard to be successful in that way. The tricky part for Chicago will be Seattle's defense is, is legit. I mean, look, look at yesterday. Mm-hmm. The Rams averaged 27 points a night. Rams averaged 27 points a night. And for while that game was within reach, they only had 17 points. Right? Now, I know Cup went off, and there was a couple big runs by you know Sonny Michelle, but you know, for the most part, that defense, while it was missing some of its key guys because of COVID, you know, held up. You know, they were playing like a fourth string corner at one point out there, guarding OBJ on like third down, manned up. That's tough stuff. And they were able to, you know, get it done. Seattle's run defense is really good, top five scoring defense, top top ten um red zone defense, top ten defense and eliminate explosive plays, you know, so they're really good. So they basically force you to dink and dunk and be right a lot on long, sustained drives. And that's tough to do, uh, especially when you have, like, a really bad offense like Chicago has with a coach who probably needs to go. Not probably, bro. Not probably. Um, I mean, he's practically got his office packed up. He knows he's done. So, um how are they in the red zone? Because the, the the thing about the Bears is that twenty to twenty, we're actually not a bad offense. Uh, the, we, we're fairly good at moving the ball down the field, but once we enter the red zone, all of a sudden, every play call that comes out is either the one that everyone on earth can see coming, or the absolute worst play call that you can drum up uh, in a situation like that. I mean, it is. It is mind-boggling to watch them always pick the the path of most resistance uh, in some of these situations. Because our third down efficiency, it it wavers. Because if it if it's third and eight, th- you know so, something like that. If it's an important third down, we screw it up every single time. It's it's unbelievable. But when it you know just some random third down on our side of the fifty, yeah, we can usually convert that you know time or, or two. But like I said, we'll get ourselves down the field. Once we get inside the 20, it all of a sudden we forget all the fundamentals of the game. We have no idea. We do the everything opposite of what it was that got us in that position in the first place. So if you guys can defend the the red zone, you're going to be just fine against the Bears on Sunday. Yeah, the Seahawks, I'm looking at it now, I have it in front of me. They're a top five in our red zone defense. Awesome. So, yeah, it's. The defense is actually really solid. Um, they're top seven, you know, goal to go uh, defense as well, you know, and that's on top of being. You see, if this loads, it's on top of being a top seven, you know, third down defense. So, Seahawks defense is it's if you can't stay on the field on third down and you can't score in the red zone and you can't score goal to go situations, then yeah, I think it's just it's going to be hard for you to score points, which is why the Seahawks also have a top five. Scoring defense, right? You know the defense has really figured it out. You know, and it's not like they're doing it with a bunch of all-world players too. It's still a lot of guys leading them in some categories that people don't know. You know, Bobby Wagner's leading them in tackles. You know, Quandre Diggs is leading them in interceptions. And you get guys like Al Woods and Puna Ford, who huge defensive tackles, who are you know leading the charge with their run defense, which is also like a top ten run defense. And then you got guys like B.J. Reed who can cover cover his butt off. He missed the game, but he's like just lights out, you know, ever since like week three. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be hard for Chicago's offense to move the ball. But those red zone struggles, I'm pretty sure historically that holds up for most teams led by a rookie quarterback. The windows are just tighter. Um, you don't have the deep shots. You know, play action is not super in your favor uh, at that point in the red zone. So I think those struggles 
those probably won't last if Justin gets more time. But and and I say this as someone who thought Justin should have been named the starter the minute he was drafted. Oh, don't get me started. I mean, it it was like talking to you is what got me super excited about the idea of field starting out of the gate. Cause in the beginning I was kind of in the, in the, you know, let Dalton start, let fields. But I also didn't imagine that Nagy would handle it the way that he did by not letting fields practice with the ones at all, like zero reps with the first team until he was forced into duty when Dalton got hurt week two. Like he had no plan B on what happens, A, if Dalton sucks, or B, if Dalton gets hurt. There was no plan B. It was Dalton's the starter. Justin Fields, if we're lucky, we'll never see the field because Andy Dalton is leading us to the playoffs, and then Justin Fields will take over next year kind of thing. He wanted to go the Pat Mahomes route uh, and everything. But it's, but it's I like, just puts your guy at a disadvantage. Though. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think the the most in, instructive thing that Justin uh, said—I don't remember what context he said it in—but it was something I could have predicted in May when they named Andy the starter. Was he was like, "Yeah, I don't have that chemistry yet with Alec Robinson because they don't yeah. get the reps." Well, why don't you get the reps? Well, that's because you're the backup, and that's why I think it's so overrated in the league. And people say he can learn behind insert guy here. Right, you're not learning anything. Yeah. <laughs> you you learn by you learn by experience in the NFL. You need to see the snaps. You need to see the covers. This guy's is. You need to go out there, make the mistake, sit there with your quarterback coach, fix them, and then go out there and do them the next day. You can't do any of that when you're the scout team guy or you're getting you know maybe ten throws a practice because you're you're the backup. And I think that that's that's a huge problem that San Francisco and Chicago walk themselves into by drafting. Uh, by trading up to draft quarterbacks mm-hmm. and only to bench them for guys who they don't want around after this year. I just didn't understand that. And Justin's comment about Allen in particular highlighted why that's an issue. You don't have chemistry with the best receiver on the team. Oh, wow. <laughs> no one could have saw that coming. It was actually the other way around. It was Robinson saying that he didn't have chemistry oh, in the fields sorry. because yeah. they, um, because they didn't practice together. And that real, I mean, I think the beat writers knew that because they were allowed to watch practice during the uh, during the preseason or during uh, training camp and such. And that was one of the things that uh, Hogan Johns, the the beat writers podcast, talked about all the time was they were literally keeping count on how many snaps Fields got with the ones. And one show after another, it was zero, maybe one here, maybe another one there, kind of thing. Like you could literally count on your hands and have fingers left over with how many reps he got with the ones during the preseason so uh, or right. during uh, training sorry, yeah I, mis- I misspoke on that yeah you're, you're right uh but yeah that's it. either way that's the point still remains yeah, yeah like, absolutely you're absolutely right should be considered guys who should they should get reps together in the middle of the night and sleep they should wake up <laughs> eat breakfast together shower right next to each other six feet apart or whatever they should be in lockstep because that's the future of your you know the franchise yeah there so to just to, to get to whatever week that was i said that it's like yeah well we don't practice together but like well damn why not? And why? Because Matt needs to go. Right. So real quick, I know, I know you're running short on time. I just want to ask um, uh, two things. One, is Jamal Adams healthy? No, he's done for the year. He's done for the year. Oh, that's too bad. Because um, there was a guy, I mean, if, if I could have had anybody besides Trubisky in the 2017 draft, that was the guy. He was the one I had circled on the board, number three overall in the draft. Give me that guy. He would, he would have been a star in Chicago for sure. Um, and then finally, with, with um, losing to the Rams, it guarantees the first losing season in the Russell 
Wilson era. Is that correct? That is. That yeah. is. They'll be they'll be eight nine at best. At best. I mean, what does that breed for the for the future? Are they going to blow this thing up after this year, or are they kind of locked into uh, you know into at least for the next year or two? This is what we're going to do and kind of struggle along. Or what do you see happening when the season ends? You know, it, it, it's tough to say right now, just because I, I probably need to see how it, um, how these next few games play out. I think one thing that kind of plays in Pete Carroll's favor, if you're trying to decide between Pete and Russ, is that you know, at least in terms of the on-field product, you know, working with what they have, the guys are playing really hard. Whether they're playing for Pete or they're just playing for the teammates or the position coaches, whatever. Defense in particular is battling its ass off, you know, while the offense just picks up the joint every week. You know, that's really hard to do in this league when so many of the rules are just tailored for you to fail and specifically for the quarterbacks to succeed. So that works in Pete's favor. You know, guys are competing right to the very end. And you you can just tell they're they're still listening to him. That's one thing. You know, when guys get to tuning people out, like Urban Meyer, like, all right, you got to get him out of there, you know, or or even a Bill O'Brien in Houston. That's not the case with Pete. So if that stays true, like, you can I can see an owner, someone in ownership talking themselves into thinking, hey, as long as he's still got the locker room, I believe in this guy. Um, do I? No. But um, the, then the other variable is, all right, well, what does Russ want? Mm. Does Russ want to be the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks um, while Pete Carroll is the head coach? You know, and, that, and that's that's a that's a. Uh, an answer only Russ has right now. Right. I wish he would tell it to me or text it to me or call me and tell me. <laughs> and I would, I would, I would share it with the world if I, if I knew that answer. Um, and really that's Russ's answer. There is going to determine everything. Does he still want to go to Chicago or the Raiders or, or the Saints or whatever, whoever else was on his list? You know, did yeah, he, didn't he release that? a new one last week or something like that? Wasn't there like four more teams or four new teams instead of uh, Oakland and Chicago and Dallas and things like that? I, I thought I maybe read that somewhere. He didn't release it, but it got leaked. Um, his his people kind of shot that down. They they shot down the source of it. Yeah, I don't know if they shot down the content, which huh. is interesting. Yeah, I think it was New Orleans, Denver. Uh, I can't remember. Maybe were the, the Giants? Giants in there? I was going to say, were the Giants in there? Yeah, I, I think so, and that's probably right. I could see this. You know, Russ could like the roster in Denver, and he could like Sean Payton in New Orleans, and he could just like the allure of New York, um, and maybe perhaps the allure of getting more personnel control if he goes to a big market like New York, where they have to, you know, rebuild around him. Like they just invested a lot in him, and they'll probably have a new coach and new GM and stuff up there. Uh, so yeah, there's, all of those teams made sense when I saw the list. They just they just shot down who said it. They were all like, "We never talked to this guy. Nobody in this camp talked to him." <laughs> Uh, but no one was like, ah, those, those, those teams ain't it. No, I think, I think he's, I, I think he's taking Chicago uh, off the list. I'm Probably. not gonna lie, I don't know why they're on there initially, but yeah, I think they're off the list. Yeah, I mean, we 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 have our own Russell Wilson. He's just younger and taller than uh, than the current uh, Russell Wilson, or the the first one, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, Mike, I, I I appreciate the time, man. Um, thanks so much for for coming on and. Uh, talking us through this this game between the five and nine Seahawks and the four and ten Bears I I think when we spoke over the summer uh, I I don't know how much you were expecting from the Seahawks I wasn't expecting much from the Bears but I sure as hell wasn't expecting four and ten uh going into this game uh that's for sure so it's been a a trying season for us both and here's to uh 
Here's to the, the last three games at least being exciting uh, before we wrap things up in 2021. Yeah, playoff games are very rarely boring, whether the team's good or not. Right. So we should we should get a, a – I know the Bears fans, I feel like their games are boring. Um, some of them are, but, like, a Seahawks game is very rarely, like, stale. Right. They really got something weird in it, you know, or, you know, a couple of highlight plays. So, yeah, it should be it should be fun uh, on Sunday. Yeah, the I mean, you know, Bear games um you know, they're 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 definitely interesting. They're not boring, that's for sure. That's that's a great way uh to put it. Uh, they do make me want to walk into traffic sometimes, but other than <laughs> that, you know, they're definitely not boring. So, uh Mike, where can we uh where can we catch you online? Where can we read your stuff? I uh, just go to my Twitter. It's got everything, you know, at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-D-A-R. It's got me on. Uh, it's, that's where you can find my author page with all my stories on The Athletic. My podcast, Seahawks Man the Mail podcast, is always pinned to the top of my profile. Um, so you can always find it there. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on The Athletic. We're on YouTube. Um, just every, wherever you get podcasts, you can get us. So my, my Twitter is a one-stop shop for everything. Awesome. Uh, Mike, thanks so much, man, and uh, hope to talk to you again real soon. All right, thanks for having me. I want to thank my guest, Michael Sean Dugar. Be sure to check him out online. Check out his podcast uh, about the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And, uh, you know, you can see it on The Athletic, on Spotify, on uh, on the um, – on iTunes, it was like, how could I forget the biggest one? Uh, iTunes, Google Play, and so on and so forth. Um, really had a great time uh, talking to him. Uh, you know, and he's a beat writer, so he's not necessarily as emotionally invested as most of our guests are. But, you know, even in the case of like, um, you know, like one of my favorite beat writers, Hogan Johns, the podcast that they do, those guys are both from Chicago. So there's there's some emotional investment there they they try to be as um you know detached as possible but at the same time they can't hide the fact that you know they're both chicago guys that have watched and and you know possibly loved the bears their entire lives uh from it and and you can hear some of the frustration in in, in mike's voice uh as well although he does try to he does skew more to the professional side as as far as like not trying to be uh, as emotionally invested uh in these things as as possibly hogan johns uh, end up being from time to time, or God forbid, like a guy like David Kaplan. Um, <laughs> I'd love to talk to him, actually. I'm going to try to reach out and see if maybe I could possibly get him on the show sometime. But, um, you know, it, it's it, it's going to be an interesting game on, on Sunday. Like I said, we, we don't know who's going to be playing for us. Uh, you know, it's uh, we don't know who, if anybody's going to come off the list on you know, today on Thursday, as you guys are listening to this, or tomorrow on Friday, or hell, even Saturday, um, to see who the last-minute COVID people are, are, you know, if anybody can clear protocols between now and then and, and, and all that kind of stuff to see who's going to be available to play or who, God forbid, is going to go on the list. Because, like I said, on, on Monday and – or, excuse me, on Tuesday and Wednesday, two guys came off the list each day – but one guy went on to the list. Like Bilal Nichols, Jesper Horstead were added to the COVID list while we got four guys back off of it. Like Eddie Jackson uh, is off the list. I believe like Artie Burns and, uh, you know, Duke Shelley, I think, is off the list. And 
uh, and things like that. But we've added guys back on, so we've 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 taken four guys off the list, but added two back on. So it's still kind of leveling out uh, our numbers. So I, I'm 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 interested to see how that's going to go. Keep an eye on the injury list. See if anybody we can get back. Maybe Kyrus Tonga can come back from the shoulder injury and, and play against the uh, Seahawks. Help us in the run game. Uh, there, hopefully, Akeem Hicks can keep playing like the beast that he was uh, on Monday. Uh, that would be fantastic. And uh, honestly, I would love to see Robert Quinn break the sack record this week. Get you know two sacks is all is all it takes. He's got sixteen. The record is seventeen and a half. I'd I'd love to see him be able to do it this weekend. And and because like I said before, I, I would I would rather him do it this week and next week as opposed to like say he goes. He only gets like one this week, doesn't get anything against the Giants next week, and then sneaks in one against the Vikings. To me, that wouldn't be the same because he did it in 17 games, whereas Dent did it back in 16, back in 84. So if, if he could do it now, he, that, that would even be a more legitimate record because he got it in 15 games. He did it faster than Richard Dent did it in. So. I don't know. I've, I've actually seen a lot of mixed emotions about this. Some people don't want to see Dent's record broken. I love Richard Dent, too. He's absolutely one of my favorite players uh, of all time. But a, a record is a record, and it's always exciting to see one get broken. You know, the only the only record that a Chicago Bear holds that I don't want to see broken uh, by another Bear is Sweetness's rushing record. <laughs> I mean, it, it would also be a bittersweet thing because if somebody was was running the ball so well for us that they broke Walter Payton's rushing record, that would mean he had we had an all of a Hall of Fame running back on our football team. That's what that would mean. So uh, that would also be kind of a bittersweet thing. Robert Quinn quite possibly is not going to go down as one of the great pass rushers in the history of the Chicago Bears, let alone the NFL. I mean, he's had a solid career for sure, a great career. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but, you know, and I think maybe that's why some people are kind of opposed to Quinn possibly breaking the record is that, you know, Robert Quinn's had a great career. I don't know if you'd call him a Hall of Famer, but Richard Dent is a Hall of Famer. One of the greatest pass rushers ever, and to have possibly have his record broken uh, by somebody who wouldn't be up to his caliber as far as a all-time pass rusher, that makes sense. It does. But with this year and how things have gone, let's have something to hang our hats on. You know, we'd, hey, Robert Quinn broke the single-season uh, sack record for the Bears, which was pretty damn impressive because it was 17 and a half. You know, it was like, I'd also love to see Robert Quinn go nuts and break the regular season record. Break Strahan's single season record. Go nuts, man. Go nuts. Get after it. Break the record. Take all 17 games to do that one. I don't care. But, you know, as far as breaking Dent's record, do it in the in the 16, and I'm good. So, um, anyway. It's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this game is going to unfold. We'll talk more about it on the deep dive uh, preview that will come out on Christmas Eve. So I appreciate everyone who's going to download and listen to uh, that one. Uh, I want to thank you all guys for, for hanging out with me this year. Uh, it's been a tough season and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at my, my, my streams and my downloads. This has been the, the best season I've ever had. And um, uh, as far as like being able to keep track of the numbers 
uh, and such, which I've only actually been able to do for the last few years. So who knows if this is actually true. But as far as like as long as I've been able to keep an eye on the the numbers, the streams and downloads and stuff, crazy or not, this season has been my most successful one. So I want to thank you guys uh, for for sticking it out with me. Uh, you know, and uh, letting me be your uh, letting me be your sounding board through this very tough, tough season. So thank you guys all for uh, listening. Come on back tomorrow for the deep dive preview. Uh, we'll talk keys to the game. We'll, we'll get news and notes, whatever notes. And it'll probably be like last week, a heavy COVID list injury report type news and notes uh, section. And uh, we'll get you ready for Bear Seahawks on Sunday. So come on back for that. Enjoy the holiday. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.